0: And these are two monuments that usually people especially if they're not uh guided they just walk by they don't pay any attention to them they focus on the on the columns of the temple but they don't know they have bypassed one of the most important monuments of uh, ancient greek history
1: that's amazing oh, i i need to go back to delphi and i need to take you with me yeah. <laughs> Are you ready for a truly insider's guide on where to travel in Greece for the best archeological sites, hidden gems, and even the unknown must-sees at the most popular places? Grab a pen and paper and get ready to make notes for your dream holiday, as today I'm talking with Aristotle Koskinenas, archeologist and tourist guide. With 20 years in the field and hundreds of sites under his belt, there isn't much Aristotle doesn't know about where to go in Greece. Hello, this is Anya Leonard, founder and director of Classical Wisdom, a site dedicated to bringing ancient wisdom to modern minds. You can now find us, along with our free newsletter, at classicalwisdom.substack.com. And before we begin, a quick thank you to our society members who make this podcast possible. If you would like to become a member and help support the classics, just go to our website, classicalwisdom.substack.com, and subscribe. You can also help us out by subscribing to our podcast channel. Just hit that red button subscribe to get your monthly dose of classics. Now on to ancient Olympia, Naxos, and Delphi. First off, you have such a great name, Uh, The Eagle by Aristotle. I think everybody loves that. It seems like you were destined to be involved in the ancient world. Um, But was that what got you interested in archaeology in the first place?
0: Uh, no, actually, I have to thank my great-great-grandfather for the name Aristotle, because sometime in the 18th century, someone in the family chose to add this name in the, in the family. But I can say that it was the name that uh, gave me the impetus to study archaeology. Initially, I wanted to become, uh, and, and you may laugh, uh, I wanted to become an army officer, not to go career military. But to in Greece, to get into the military academy, you have to be very good in uh, physics, uh, chemistry, and mathematics. And I'm terrible in all of them. So I, I switched to my second uh, lab, which was history and, and archaeology. Uh, and I said that when I was in high school, I decided that that's what I wanted to, to do. And not history, because history you have to do, no, we have to read uh, ancient uh, texts and, and sources, uh, inscriptions. For me, that was a little boring. Or at least that's what I thought back then when I was a teenager. Uh, no, uh, Participating in excavations, uh, exploring things, finding things for the first time, taking them from the ground. Uh, for me, that was uh, thrilling and fascinating. Maybe Diana Jones helped in that.
1: Yeah. I he's not an yes.
0: archaeologist because now i know that he's not an archaeologist but uh yeah that was the one one of the reasons and the other reason is that uh i was born in athens and history and archaeology are everywhere in the city you, you just get out of your balcony you can see the acropolis uh, in the distance you walk oh, the, <laughs> yeah by a random park and you see ancient columns and there is the remains of a roman uh, building and a mosaic which just visible, just behind the, uh, the fence. So, yeah, there was a lot of uh, influences.
1: So you've been traveling around the Mediterranean and exploring all these archaeological sites and, and guiding people. I mean, you've got a wealth of experience. How long have you been doing this for?
0: I became a guide in 2003. Yeah, Before that, I was working for the Ministry of Culture as an archaeologist, which, which is relevant, but at the same time, it's completely different. Because as an archaeologist, you have to focus on a the, on the particular site or sites. You have also to focus on a specific period. Uh, as a guide, you have to pre- approach things from a more holistic perspective. You have to know actually a lot of things about all the periods, all the areas that you're going to, to guide.
1: Yeah, because there's so much layers of history and just about everywhere in Greece. So uh, I can imagine you have to be on the ready, have a much larger overview.
0: Yeah, from the Paleolithic period, I would say about uh, 100,000 BP, before present, because that's the correct date for the Paleolithic period, (laughs) all the way to 19th century.
1: Uh, Because
0: uh, I'll give you just a... an example, you go to the island of Naxos, and at the island of Naxos, you have the, recently they have, they're excavating a very important Paleolithic uh, site, it's not visible, I mean, you cannot visit it, but it's there, so you have to talk about it. Uh, you have the uh, early Bronze Age with the Cycladic uh, figurines, then you have the Classical Periods, uh, Middle Ages, Venetians, Ottomans, well, in a small uh, uh, business, much, small, much, much smaller uh, factor that the Ottomans played in the history of Naxos, but you have to be able to present all these historical horizons and their uh, culture.
1: That's amazing. So in, in these last 20 years, of, how many islands do you think you've been to?
0: Or archaeological uh, we, sites? Archaeological sites. Well, to be honest, well, I, I just tell you that uh, look, first of all, there are uh, hundreds of archaeological sites and museums in Greece, uh, which are uh, which are controlled and ticketed archaeological sites, and then we have thousands of other archaeological sites which are uh, have been designated, but they are not part of uh, of, of itineraries, so or people cannot uh, uh, visit them. Uh, when i was in the in the school of tourist guides we had a hundred uh, days of field trips and we visited all of greece so yeah I, I would say that yeah, i have visited uh, well i cannot give you an
1: exact number because
0: uh off the top of my head but i would say a couple of hundred uh, uh, sites
1: so which would, would you say are some of your favorites the, the must-see the bucket list
0: my, the must well uh, favorite and must uh, see is a little different. So uh, I will start with the uh, no, with, with ancient Olympia, which uh, it's also one of the most famous archaeological sites in Greece. And I like Olympia because it is associated with the history of the, of the Olympic Games and the spirit of the ancient Olympics which was a little different than the spirit of the modern uh, Olympics. And this is a place where you can see how all the Greeks uh, would come together and they would compete. So you have their their antagonism, but not in war, but in sports, and how they were trying to prove that they could excel above every, every everybody else through their prowess in, uh, in sports and also through art and culture, because also uh, they would uh, dedicate... Uh, uh, statues, uh, fine pottery, bronze artifacts, which were produced uh, and created in their own city states. So the, uh, Olympia was one of these places where the, the differences and the similarities of the Greeks uh, were highlighted. And of course, you have all these anecdotes about the achievements of the ancient uh, athletes, which for me are uh, very uh, interesting.
1: Yeah, there's so many wonderful stories about, you know, uh, their one of the guy's sons both win the Olympics and then he dies. I can't remember some of them off the top of my head, but you've got like a really excellent anecdote.
0: Yeah, yeah, and there are anecdotes that... um, How can I put it? They they can teach us a lot about the mentality of the athletes and how they were thinking, but also the mentality of the people who were making and they were consuming those stories because some of these stories probably are just uh, legends. There are stories that people were uh, narrating over a cup of wine in the in the symposium and that didn't really happen. But you you can learn a lot of things about the the, Gre- the ancient Greek uh, mentality when you talk about this uh, these stories.
1: So pretend right now you're in ancient Olympia and you've got yeah. a group with you. Where would you take them that they wouldn't know on the archaeological site that would be like an interesting find. Interesting find.
0: So, uh, usually, the, the, the my, my itinerary, uh, because that, that's actually what I'm trying to do in every archaeological site, is to, to approach the archaeological site as an area that was used, not as an uh, uh, as a group of, of, of buildings and monuments. Because, okay, you can describe the building, but what was going on in the building uh, during the, the games is important. Uh, so okay, sometimes I don't actually I don't follow the, the standard itinerary, uh, especially if I have time. So I go through the gymnasium, the the palestra, which is very uh, impressive building. The palestra was the area where the uh, the boxers and the wrestlers were training. Um, we also visit the uh, workshop of uh, Phidias. Phidias was the ancient Athenian sculptor who created the golden ivory statue of Zeus. One of the wonders of the ancient world. And we think that we have found the workshop where that statue was created. Oh, man. From, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. Also, in the excavations, they have found uh, a wine mug with an inscription engraved on the base, which reads, I belong to Phidias. It, it, was, it was the wine mug of Phidias. So, having something like that is something it's thrilling. Uh, but uh, I also visit. The monuments that are more or less of the beaten track, like the the Roman baths, which are very well preserved, and there were a lot of Roman period buildings in in Olympia. Usually, well, they're uh, away from the main visited area, or people don't know about them. But they're also they're first of all very impressive but also it's a marker of how important Olympia was even in the Roman period. Because when you have all these uh, baths and uh, accommodation infrastructure, it meant that people from all around the Roman Empire were going to Olympia to attend the games and even participate uh, in the games.
1: It's wonderful, again, to to see that kind of history in one place and get this sense of time passing. All the generations living there, experiencing this one place.
0: Yeah, especially if you could, uh, if you are able to tell the difference between the the dates of the different buildings, you can see how the site uh, was developed, when a building was got, got out of use or it was uh, repaired and changed its function. Um, for example, there is uh, in Olympia, uh, there is a building called the Leonideon, which was built in the fourth century BC as the hostel, as the guest house for the very prominent. Uh, delegations or athletes and then the roman period it was remodeled into the residence of the roman emperor when he was visiting olympia so similar function but at the same time different because initially it was used as a public guest house and then the roman period was used only for one person and his and his retinue which at all, of course tells a lot about how history changed and the political situation had changed in greece at that time
1: yeah, that's, that's a wonderful insight that how we can learn so much of the the time period and the cultures by seeing how these same buildings were used. Um, OK, so let's let's go through another archaeological site for a second, if I may pick your brain. Um, one of my favorites is Delphi, and I think it's another one that has such significance in the ancient world. Um, what are some of the spots in that one that people would get like, a whole new understanding of ancient Greek culture?
0: of ancient Greek cultures. So the both uh, known and unknown, or, or both? Or if you Thank want you to. Better. Okay, so uh, let's see some of the monuments that are visible and and and, and enhanced. For example, the, the treasury of the Athenians. Uh, Treasuries were buildings constructed by the city-states were in the sanctuary and they would fun- function as repositories of valuable offerings. And in Delphi, there is, we have actually the largest number of these buildings from ev- any other ancient Greek sanctuary, including Olympia. And you can see the different architectural styles from different Greek uh, regions. So you can see how proud they were of their uh, cultural diversity and their uh, sovereignty. And the treasure of the Athenians uh, has been reconstructed. So you don't see just the foundations, but you can see the entire building and you can understand Uh, much, much better how those buildings would look like, how they would function, and also how the Athenians would use this building to make statements about their uh, political life and their own uh, achievements, because we believe that it was constructed uh, after the Battle of Marathon in 490 BC, and that there was to to celebrate the victory, and Delphi was one of the best places to commemorate military victories, because you, of course, you would get an oracle from from Apollo, which would help you in winning the battle. At the same time, Delphi was the center of the Greek world. So uh, everybody who mattered would have seen those monuments or understand what was the significance of Athens or another Greek city-state uh, at that time. So that, that that's one of the features that you can see. But uh, and, and sometimes we just talk about it as, as just a treasury, but it's not only a treasury, it's also... Uh, a monument of the Athenian military uh, victory. And then there is another uh, monument, uh, which is a very impressive engineering uh, feature of the, of the sanctuary. It's a retaining wall built in the 6th century BC with a very interesting polygonal uh, masonry. And in its, in its own right, it's a very impressive uh, site, it's the engineering skills of the Greeks uh, in this period. But what's even more interesting for me are the around 800 inscriptions, which are engraved on the blocks of this uh, wall, Uh, inscriptions which were uh, engraved uh, starting in the 3rd century uh, BC all the way to the 2nd century CE, and they contain emancipation inscriptions. So we can see how the people of Delphi, sometimes scholars can see members of the same family after a generation or two, how they were dealing with, the, with slavery and how they would uh, uh, free their slaves. Of course, they were being compensated financially to do that. And uh, for me, just that they were using that massive wall as a public notice board or as a kind of repository of, uh, of contracts and deeds uh, is important for the function of, of the sanctuary, not only as an area where you would go to pray to the gods and to learn about or get a consultation about your your future but also as a place where statements and documents could be uh, displayed
1: wow it's like an ancient blockchain and,
0: yeah it, it is, it is. <laughs> and, and and last but not least there are uh, because uh, there are two monuments which are directly related to the persian wars uh, one it's a statue base of apollo dedicated it was dedicated uh, in the early 5th century, immediately after the end of the Persian uh, invasion, of 480 BC. And we know that it was uh, supporting a statue of Apollo that was quite tall, about 6 meters. I don't know what mm. that in fit is but what... Anyway, uh, do the like conversion... 12, to... 15, yeah. Yeah, More I told you, with mathematics, if I was good at mathematics, then I would be a colonel in the Greek army. So, uh, and uh, according to the French archaeologist, excavating at Delphi, the name of the dedicator is the word uh, is the name of Hellenes, the Greeks. So this must be the first uh, dedication that made by the Greeks collectively, not as Athenians, Spartans, Corinthians, but as the Greeks. And, and for mm. me that's fascinating because you can see that there was that notion of a common uh, cultural and even national identity that the Greeks uh, would have had, even at the period when they were. At its other throat, uh, because, because of the confrontation of the different Greek city states. And, then, and very close to that base, there is another, even more important monument. Uh, we know that after the Battle of Plataea in 479 BC, the, the 31 Greek city states who fought against the Persians uh, dedicated a golden tripod supported on a column, uh, modeled like three uh, snakes uh, intertwined. So we, uh, we know where the monument is because we have found its base. And the serpent column of Plataea is still preserved, but it is in Istanbul. But, and, and recently they have placed uh, a reproduction of the serpent column. So having those monuments which are directly related to the Persian uh, wars and the defense uh, of the Greeks, uh, for, for me, it's, of course, I'm interested in military history, but also it's very important for the history of, uh, of Greece and the significance of Delphi itself as the oracle, which was consulting the Greeks uh, about uh, helping them take in important decisions, both political and or, or religious. And these are two monuments that usually people, especially if they're not uh, guided, they just walk by. They don't pay any attention to them. They focus on the on the columns of the temple, but they don't know they have bypassed one of the most important monuments of uh, ancient Greek history.
1: That's amazing! Oh, I I need to go back to Delphi, and I, I need to take you with me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you were saying about your interest in military history. Is there a battlefield that you think is a must see?
0: <laughs> That's a hard one. So uh, it's a hard one because I cannot distinguish between because all the the battlefields that are that we can identify are important, but I would. Uh, it would say that the battlefield of Plataea is uh, is, is a place that somebody uh, has to visit. It's not probably is not as famous as the Battle of Thermopylae, yeah. because you know three hundred Leonidas and the three hundred Spartans. It has it, it, it has its own legend, but uh, Plataea uh, is the place where you can see the battlefield, uh, and it hasn't changed a lot. The last 2500 years and if we are right, we can uh, even uh, trace the different locations that are described uh, by herodotus as locations where the different battles because it's not just a battle it's a campaign that lasted three weeks uh so uh, and we can identify where the athenians were standing where they had the first confrontation with the persian cavalry and then a few kilometers away there is a hill where the greek army moved uh, during the second stage of the battle. Uh, so, yeah, I, th- I think that uh, Plataea is uh, is a site that somebody has to include in an itinerary. It is also very convenient because it's very close to Leuctra, where the Thebans defeated the Spartans in 371 BC. Mm-hmm. And then if somebody is really interested, uh, just, I think, 20 kilometers away is Keronaia, where uh, Philip II defeated the Greek uh, city-states alliance in 338, so you have three very important uh, battlefields, which were turning points in the history of Greece, in a, in a relatively small region of the country. You can they are very well preserved as uh, as battlefields. Plus that, I have another personal attachment to Plataea because uh, I'm I'm a historic, I'm doing I'm doing historical reenactments. And this year we had a major event uh, in Plataea and we're organizing another one in 2024. So I cool. have walked through the, the battlefield several times.
1: Well, I guess I can imagine for archeological sites, there's, there's sort of a, a dual factor of the importance of the site, but also how well preserved it is and, and yeah. what you can see there. So, I mean, I, I've been to Thermopylae and you know, you've got like a little monument and a statue, but there's not, I mean, even the geographical layout has changed so much since yes. the battle that it's kind of hard to get the,
0: the feel for it's, it. Um, Thermopylae... Now, what, what, what's the thing about Thermopylae? Uh, until recently, uh, we believe, including me, that the battlefields where uh, Leonidas and his, three, his 300 uh, fought uh, is, was buried under several meters Of of silt. And as you said, the landscape has changed uh, dramatically. It's not the narrow passage uh, where the Spartans and the Persians uh, fought. Uh, Now it's plain five kilometers uh, wide.
1: Yeah, not exciting. (laughs) uh,
0: Yeah, but that was actually, uh, and I was really surprised when a friend of mine, who's also a historical reenactor, studied the battlefield more carefully. And he discovered that the location where the battle took place is there. It's not there. It's actually because it is associated with a specific topographic feature, a wall that was built by the people of Phoquis uh, to block the road. And that wall is preserved. And Herodotus is clear that the battle was taking place very close to that wall. So the wall is there. It is known. It was known because it was excavated in the 30s. But all the reconstruction of the battle... Uh, would forget it completely, and they would say, ah, the wall is somewhere in the plane, and it was buried. So now, uh, and I learned that re- recently. And since then, whenever I'm going to Thermopylae, I'm always, I'm presenting the battle now under this new light. For me, that was uh, thrilling. It was like, it was an eye-opener. All these years, I was describing the battle the completely wrong way, and all of a sudden, well, there it is, yeah. It, uh, everything ties in, and... You have the wall. You have the uh, the road. You have the area where the Spartans camped. You have the hill where they had their last uh, stand. So even Thermopylae now, we know that the we have discovered that the battlefield is there. So so how
1: far away is that from the monument?
0: The monument where you have the that was built in the fifties, uh, is it's just it's just across the street. It's it's very close to the hill where the Spartans had their last stand and the, where, where there is the inscription with the funeral epigram, there is a path, there is even a sign pointing to the, to the wall of the Phokians. Uh And that's, th- for me, it was a surprise because I knew there was a wall, the, the sign was there, and then, of, and then all of the scholarship about the Battle of Thermopylae was placing the battle uh, close to where the monument is, but we thought that that location had been buried. But now it seems that the battlefield was over there all this time, in front of our eyes, and for some reason we couldn't uh, see it. We hadn't connected the archaeology with the the account of the battle in the correct way. It's it's a it's very close. When you stand, where is the monument of Leonidas? And when you turn around, having your back to the monument, you can see the hill uh,
1: in front of you. Yeah, cool. Definitely going back there also. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm making my own itinerary here, so thank you. Um, but uh, you know, one of the things I love about going to archaeological sites, I, I love going to the most important ones and the popular ones. But every now and then, you stumble on one that not many people go to, and it's yeah. empty, and you you get to just feel like you're there. I mean, one of my favorite experiences was when I was in Butrint in Albania, and you know, you're just there was nobody there. I just we had the whole place to ourselves. It was like we could envision exactly what everything was and where Augustus walked and it was so exciting. Um, now, of course, in Greece, it's it's tricky because people go to Greece to find these archaeological sites. But yeah. are there some hidden gems that, you know, you go there and it's you got the place to yourself. And it's just
0: it's yeah. beautiful. Uh, look, there is a site in uh, there are a couple of sites, first of all, very close to Athens. Such as the sanctuary of of Amphiaros. Amphiaros was uh, a prophet and uh, and the doc- and a physician. So his sanctuary was both an oracle and the sanctuary of healing. Uh, it's located. I mean, you can get there; just an hour away f- driving from, from Athens. Uh, it's not. A, it, its location is strange. It's not on a hill. It's actually in a in a river uh, valley. So and it's surrounded by pine trees. And there is a temple, the the portico where the patients were sleeping. There is a bath, uh, and and for me that is uh, one my that's actually one of my favorite sites. I visit it uh, every year. It also helps that I have the property nearby, uh, so for me it's easy to go there. But uh, and, and that's a place where you you rarely see uh, people, and if you see people, they're not you know busloads just uh, going through. It even has a small ancient uh, theater. Uh, so th- th- that's one of the hidden gems of uh, of Attica. And there is another uh, location, again in Attica, it's the, 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 it was uh, the ancient uh, town of Ramnus on the north, northeastern frontiers of Attica, of the ancient, of the ancient city-state of Athens. It has a small sanctuary dedicated to the goddess Nemesis, but it also has the remains of an ancient uh, settlement. And you walk, uh, I mean, for about 10, 15 minutes, you walk by the ancient cemetery and you see the walls, the the houses. And again, it's, uh, I mean, I went recently in August and I have been there, uh, well, as an archaeologist, I have been there several times to, to look at the site. But as a guide, I have been there only Twice. Because people don't know about it, and both times there were people who have read about it and, ah, we want to see uh, Ramnus. And uh, I think that's also very, because it's something, it's something different. You see a countryside sanctuary, and uh, you see a countryside uh, settlement of, uh, of Athens. Uh, and for me, one of another uh, gem, which is known but very, people don't visit it a lot, is the uh, the ancient city of Messini. Not to be confused with Mycenae. Yeah. Uh, Messini is in the Peloponnese, and uh, it, it it was a city that was established in the late fourth century BC, and is a very good example of a Hellenistic period city. It has been very well excavated and. Uh, restored, so it's both interesting and impressive. Uh, I'll give an example. There they have. There is a, the the sta- the stadium. It's a co- it's a combination of a stadium, gymnasium, palestra. It is surrounded by colonnades, so it's something very uh, impressive. To and usually people bypass it or they go straight to to other more famous. Monuments of the sites of the Peloponnese, and they don't take the time to go to Messenia, and I think that's a bit because it's a very uh, important and impressive
1: site. Oh, I definitely want to go there. One that I enjoyed that was kind of a little bit less known, I think. I mean, everybody knows about, it, but not many people go. Is outside of Thessaloniki, going to the tombs of Philip II. Yeah, and it, it's just cool because you know you just go to these mounds and deep into the earth and. I mean, I don't know
0: if they know it's Philip II, but uh, there is a debate. There's still a debate about it. Uh, personally, I was on the fence until a few years ago, uh, but now I think I'm persuaded that it is the right date to be the tomb of Philip the the second, um, because he has to do a friend of mine who uh, told me that the pottery that they found in the tomb. Is very similar to a pottery pottery that was standing from a cemetery that he excav- he, he excavated, and it's it's similar. It's the same oh. date. So, and the pottery is one of the best uh, ways to date a site. And and yes, uh, the the museum of the royal tombs at 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 Vergina it's uh, it's superb because it, it's both a museum and an archaeological site together. And again since i'm interested in military history and technology when you see the armor the full armor of philip the ii uh, yeah it's um, i'm i personally i'm awestruck i have goosebumps whenever yeah. i visit the site and when and also when i guide it because it also you can tell a story you can tell the story of the royal family you can tell the story of the of the king you can tell the story of how uh, of, of his assassination and how alexander uh, bury him in all uh, glory, and you have the the items uh, in front of you. So you can, and then you you see, when you see the facade of the tomb, and it helps. That, you know, it's in the dark, so it's uh, they impose on you the the awe that you walk down in the in the tomb, down in the other world in a way. And you can see an ancient Greek painting. You can see the colors there. It's yeah, it's it's, it's thrilling.
1: Oh God, I remember even when we went, it was like 40 degrees outside and the walk from the car to the tomb, you know, you were melting and you go just deep in, and you, it was so cold. It, it chills. It, it was, yeah, it was yeah. otherworldly. Yeah, um, now, for, for for people who like also islands though, I mean, it's one of the most amazing things about Greece is all these stunning, beautiful islands. Yeah. And so I feel like it's it's really great when you can find these, historic sites that are also in stunning locations it's like the best of all the world and i know you went on a a trip recently um with the classical wisdom members where you went to chios for instance and everyone spoke yes. extremely highly about chios but are there some other islands that are just like a perfect combination of of spectacular landscape and historical wonders
0: Well, I will start with. uh, Well, I have mentioned Naxos. uh, I think we have talked about Naxos. Naxos, I think it's one of my favorite islands in the Cyclades because uh, it has beautiful landscapes. First of all, it's an island where you can see greenery and running water. There are even water mills. In uh, when if you take a hike, you can see water mills in Naxos. but it also has some very important uh, archaeological sites dating to the uh, early Bronze Age, to, to, the, to the classical period. For example, there is uh, a location of, uh, of an ancient quarry where there are two uh, statues which are unfinished. So you, you, go and you can see those big statues just lying in the middle of a, of a field. And uh, you can start making, imagining the stories of how they were they were they were striking the statues out of the marble, and somebody made a mistake or during transportation. So you can even imagine that. And then there is a sanctuary dedicated to Demeter, uh, uh, where the has one of the most important temples uh, built entirely out of marble. Actually, Naxos was famous for its marble, and it is a temple that has been reconstructed and it's surrounded by a rural uh, landscape so you can see sometimes how uh, the the ancient greek cults were location uh, specific because this, and the landscape interacts very well with the with the temple so yes naxos is one of these of those islands then i would mention santorini because uh, santorini has the st- stunning uh, volcanic landscapes but it also has uh, some very uh, interesting and impressive archaeology. We have the Bronze Age city of Akrotiri, where you can see buildings which are up to two stories high, and they're they're preserved. Uh, and if you don't uh, you don't mind walking, uh, there is the Hellenistic city which is on the top of a mountain, which is also not as famous but also very impressive. Uh, he, uh, so that is from the islands that are in the Cyclades, Heos, um Chios has a lot of, uh, of medieval uh, monuments, for example, the Monastery of Nea Moni, built in the 11th century. It has some superb mosaics, one of the three most important Byzantine period monuments in Greece. And also, walking in the villages where uh, the, they were producing the masticha, it's an experience you, it's like you walk in a different period. Uh, especially the the villages of uh, of Pirgi and Anavatos, which are uh, yeah, it's it's like you 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 have walked through a portal and you are in a different uh, different time.
1: Oh, that's what I love like that feeling when you just going going through time. It's it's absolutely amazing. Um, now I, I want to pivot for a second about being good tourists and and good. Mm-hmm. Um, preservers of history because it's so wonderful to go to these sites but it's obviously a lot of times they're very fragile and I know having tons of tourists can destroy and harm sites so are there some things that we can do to be respectful of these ancient sites?
0: Yeah, that's uh, the, the thing is that there are some sites which are really busy for example, uh, the Acropolis is getting thousands of people per day, and a, lo- a large percent of these people just want to take a selfie. And I-, I know that people will hate me by, uh, for saying that, but I mean, a lot. Everybody of people knows that's true. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes they don't really care about the monument itself. So I have seen people walking over the lines um, because they want to take that photograph. And I can understand that it's your only time on the acropolis, but those lines are there for a reason. So, uh, as uh, to visitors, I would say that they have to be uh, to be informed about the regulations of the site. And I know sometimes that the regulations are not very well communicated, but it, it doesn't take a lot of time when, for example, you should the, the ticket to say, "Okay, can I take photographs? Uh, other places where we cannot." Uh, enter and, and the guards will feel because that's their, their job. Uh, there are archaeological sites which have designated uh, pathways and, and walkways which are well marked and you cannot deviate from them. And, and, and in those places, things are easy. But there are other sites where uh, people can walk and sometimes they walk over walls. They enter into areas that have uh, sensitive floors or, or mosaics. So yes, uh, a visitor has to be uh, aware when he enters uh, a place. And I know that, for example, sometimes people want to have the tactile experience of touching uh, the marble walls or the columns. And I can can understand that because for me, uh, as an archaeologist, it's very important to have that tactile uh, experience. But uh, yes, if you have 16,000 people touching the same place over time, uh, 10 years from now, you start seeing that that area has been worn down. So in the end, we may admire those places, but at the same time, we contribute to their uh, decay and destruction. And it's a pit because eventually the authorities uh, will be forced to take action and block access to a specific area. It has happened, actually. Uh, in Greece, there was the... Uh, in Corinth there was a Roman bath and there was the part of the latrine. You know, the benches and the halls, it was very nice. I mean, you could sit there and you can talk about that, how people in Roman period were going to the toilet. I know it sounds a little gross, but it's it's part of, you have a connection with with the everyday life of these people. But because people were going there all the time, eventually the Minister of Culture just put, they ripped it off and you cannot go there anymore. So, you cannot uh, experience the site, you cannot uh, look at the monument anymore because other people were not, uh, were not careful. Uh, so I guess people have to be aware of the regulations and always follow the directions of the of the guards and, of course, of their guide because that's also uh, uh, important. Um, and for that to happen, I, I think that we should uh, reach out and educate the general public because if you don't appreciate the significance of this of these places you you won't really care uh, about them
1: that's that's well said i mean we're we're by existing now we are stewards of a collective exactly. history of humanity and civilization like we need to take that responsibility seriously and preserve it for our future generations and, and think okay do you want your great grandchildren to be able to see these sites that we have to be respectful of, of what we have today. You know? Now, I, I, I'd like to finish up because you've been so generous with your time. Um, but I'm going to be very selfish and ask you uh, about one more place because for two reasons. One, I'm planning on spending some time there myself this summer. Mm-hmm. And you've, we've talked about a lot of sites I've been to and did not enjoy fully. So this one, I'm going to be ahead of the game. And also because uh, Classical Wisdom, you know, we, we had done tours and uh, cruises, which you were part of the In Search of Hormu 1. And uh, all of my Classical Wisdom members raved about your knowledge and passion. And, uh, them. Yes, they, they were so thoroughly impressed. And so um, our fall trip is actually going to this place as well. So it's kind of two birds, one stone. Um mm-hmm. The island of Rhodes. It's a big island. There's uh, there's lots of history, uh, but what are what are some of the gems that we can Rhodes. find on Rhodes?
0: In, in Rhodes, uh, first of all, you should not miss the 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 best preserved part of the medieval city of Rhodes and the fortifications. Some of the uh, the best fortification complex uh, of its time in the Eastern Mediterranean. And, and, the, and the fortification corpus has a lot of history because it was besieged twice by the Ottoman uh, Turks. And then uh, there are two archeological sites. One is the, the city of Lindos, which has a the sanctuary to, to, to Athena. And the other is the, the city of Camiros. It's on the, on the other part of the island. So these are uh, three of the places that you should definitely include. Your uh, itinerary. L- Lindos is the most uh, famous. Uh, I would say Camiros, not not that much, but both of them are very uh, important. And, uh, it's called Lindos. Lindos, Camiros. These are the archaeological sites. And from in inroads in the city of Rhodes, the medieval uh, fortifications. It actually, um, you can walk down in the in the moat, so you can see the bastions. Uh, the towers. Uh, you can, and also I think in the summer you can also walk on the parapet uh, of the walls. And there is also the the part of the the street of the knights, which was the central area of the medieval city, where the the knights of Saint John had their uh, houses, their uh, the hospital, which actually functions as the as the archaeological uh, museum. Yeah, I don't know how how long are you going to stay in Rhodes because.
1: I haven't decided, actually. I mean, I, I was thinking maybe a couple of weeks.
0: Um, okay. If you stay yeah. a couple of weeks, you have
1: uh, enough time to
0: to explore the, the city and also go to, to the other places. It's a very beautiful island. I mean, you can also explore other sites, which are not necessarily historical, but they're very um, beautiful.
1: Well, that's that is just the the splendor that is Greece. you know you get you kind of get the whole package. you get these great history and culture, you get these amazing beaches and mountains, and then also the food. I mean, you guys oh, yeah. are spoiled. You're spoiled. I'll just tell you. <laughs> uh, now if if anybody wants to um, follow your work or your projects, uh, how can they find you?
0: Well, I have a blog. Uh, tells Aristotle uh, guide in Greece, uh, and uh, where actually, I do, I post, uh, uh, make posts about history, archaeology, not necessarily, and, and historical reenactment re- whenever I have the time. And uh, I also give uh, online uh, lectures now. I'm preparing one on the Persian uh, Wars. Would be a uh, Six lecture course uh, on the personal words, actually. Uh, And I will make an announcement through my my blog about when it's going to be uh, held. So, yeah, that's the main way that somebody can follow me.
1: Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Aristotle. You have given me a whole lot of amazing places to make sure I go to.
0: Thank you for having me, Anya. It was a pleasure.
1: you for listening to classical wisdom speaks a podcast dedicated to bringing ancient wisdom to modern minds please go to classicalwisdom.substack.com to learn more about our work and to sign up for our free newsletter and to learn more about aristotle's work please go to his website aristotleguide.wordpress.com thank you